Ladies and gentlemen, it's at this point in the Bond retrospective, Raven Bond series retrospective franchise relook of Bond that Stu and I are doing that we've decided to take a sharp turn. Instead of jumping to Roger Moore's final instalment as James Bond, A View to a Kill, we have stopped to take in the strange fish out of water that is Never Say Never Again. With me, as always, is my partner in podcasting crime, Stuart Late. Hello, Natalie. Hello, everyone. What a weird film this is. <laughs> what a weird, weird film. It's the year of two Bonds. It is the year of two Bonds, and we were going to not do this film or do this film later on in the series, but we decided, based on the recommendation of our special guest from the Octopussy <laughs> podcast, Tom Selinski, that we should take a look at this one. Given we were urged to look at it, Natalie. We were urged to look at it, and and I was swayed. I had enthusiastically. We, I Exactly. I decided we had to do it because, like, it's true. Like, we have to put this in context. Like, this movie came out just a few months after Octopussy. And that's so weird. The year of two Bonds. And the year of the two, I guess, most iconic Bonds, Sean Connery returning to this role. Absolutely. Taking on Roger Moore, who was the the, the incumbent at the time. And why? I I still can't (laughs) understand why. it just seems to be mostly bloody-mindedness on Kevin McClory's part. Yes. Well, that, I mean, I know why the film itself was made, but why did Connery get back into it? I wonder if it was a well, sort of – He was heavily big... involved, wasn't he? Like, he like... was. Yes, I've been doing my research, a.k.a. bringing up the Wikipedia page, <laughs> and he did seem to have gotten involved with Kevin McClory to do some script writing or bring together the story. And initially he didn't think he would play Bond, and then all of a sudden he was, and I guess they – you know, parked a truck of cash up to his house. Well, yeah, he got millions of dollars to do this, didn't he? Let me find out exactly how much. <laughs> scroll, 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 scroll. He got a lot um, of money. He negotiated a fee of $3 million, $8 dollars in 2019 dollars. Yeah, the equivalent of $8 million today. Plus uh, casting and script approval and a percentage of the profits. That is nuts. Yeah. That is just nuts. And like, it did like, okay. It made around, globally, around $160 million. And that was less than Octopussy with 187 million. Yeah, it didn't. The, after all that, it didn't beat Octopussy. No, but it still did okay. I still think it made its money back. And, and judging from some of the, apparently the shooting was quite troubled. And the producer that they got in, who was a bloke called Jack Schwartzman, the quote seems to be that he was a good businessman, but he had no experience as a film producer, didn't realise the cost of things, and then was having to like borrow cash to pay things off or paying, sorry, paying out of his own pocket, <laughs> paying out of his own pocket for certain things to get uh, finished. So yeah, it's a strange beast, this film. It is. Now, now, for those who don't know, can you explain what exactly this movie is? Okay. So much to Stu's delight, it is a remake of Thunderball. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Although I would argue that given your particular dislike of some elements of Thunderball, that this film is possibly more enjoyable to watch. It definitely was more enjoyable to watch. It was, it was, we'll get into it, but, but yeah, uh, yeah, I definitely had a better time watching this movie than I did watching the original Thunderball, which is probably sacrilege to some people, but we can get into that. (laughs) But, but yeah, like, like this is Thunderball. It's a remake of Thunderball basically. Well, it's his version of the story that he first came up with. This is Kevin McClory. He was a screenwriter who worked with Ian Fleming before Fleming signed the deal 
deal with Eon to turn Bond into a film franchise. And what happened was their initial treatment for the film didn't go anywhere, but Fleming turned the idea into the novel Thunderball. So he didn't credit Kevin McClory, and there was another chap involved who seemed to have just given up the ghost on it. But Kevin McClory obviously decided to bite down like a crocodile (laughs) into this script and go, no, 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 it's mine. So he sued Eon and Fleming's estate, and he managed to get a payout so they could use the story and use Blofeld, which he claims to have had ownership rights to as well, and the concept of Spectre, the organisation Spectre. He got a payout as long as he did not try to make a film 10 years after Thunderball was released. So once 1975 kicked around, he started in earnest trying to make one again. And the other thing about this, which should not be forgotten, is after this one came out in the late 80s, early 90s, he was still trying to get another version made, but with Timothy Dalton playing Bond. So like the he's same just, story again. Yeah, so he was going to remake Thunderball again with yes. another ex-Bond. Yes. Is the insane thing. Like, like he'd obviously decided, okay, this is a lucrative business model. <laughs> um, I can just keep remaking Thunderball with the previous Bond. Every, yeah, every 10 to 15 years. Yeah, every, every, time, every time they ditch a Bond, I pick them up, get another version of Thunderball. Yeah, and given that this one, I mean, the joke of the title, Never Say Never Again, was actually courtesy of Sean Connery's wife, Micheline. It had a whole bunch of different it's names. A, it's a dumb title. Like, like it is such a self-indulgent, self-referential title. Like, it means nothing. It has nothing to do with the plot. Well, they have the little coda at the end where he says, no, those days are over. And That's... she says, never, it's never. But I will say it's a better name than some of the suggestions, which was going to be James Bond of the Secret Service. I think yeah, one, at one weird. point it was Warhead. See, I mean, uh, Warhead makes sense. I mean, it, it's not a very memorable name, but at least it makes sense. Well, the original story that he'd worked on with Fleming was called Longitude 78 West. That That's very, like, 1950s dad book. <laughs> like, like that, that's like Guns of Navarone type thing. It's a little bit Frederick Forsyth. Yeah, for, uh, yeah Frederick Forsyth, exactly. It's a little bit John le Carre. Exactly maybe. right. That's exactly what I'm <laughs> Who's that other one? Clive Cussler? Clive Cussler, yep. Yeah, so it's airport thriller is what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. Pretty much what what Fleming was working in at the time. (laughs) Like, it's very very of that ilk. But it was Michelle Connery uh, made the joke that Sean Connery had said he would never play James Bond again after Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, sure, I I get the joke. (laughs) No, I'm just explaining to the listeners, Stu. It's not all about you, Stu, just saying. Oh, that is true. That is true, Natalie. So Eon tried to veto the film or stop it going ahead for a long time and it kept coming together, then falling apart. Initially, they thought it might go up against Moonraker, which is now, what, three films previous. That would have been wild to have this film go up against Moonraker. Yes. Can you imagine? They do feel very different eras. I mean, well, like that would have been a very marked contrast. <laughs> yeah. The one thing you can say about both Octopussy and this film is they do very much reek of the 80s. Oh, they certainly do. Sometimes it's a good reek. Uh, I'll, I'll suggest one of the good reasons in a second for this film anyway. But yeah, it's, Moonraker is definitely very 70s. And, oh, my God. I mean, this one would have been 70s, I suppose. I mean, it would would have been, it would obviously, it would have come out in the 70s. But I mean, like, you know, Moonraker, 
He's James Bond in space. So you've got <laughs> so you've got either the zenith or the nadir of the Roger Moore era, depending on what your feelings on that. Coming up against a technically a gritty remake of of Thunderball, like it would have been a very different comparison. <laughs> and even in the months leading up to this film coming out, Fleming's estate or his trustees were trying to block the film, and they applied to the High Court in London in the spring of 1983, but it was thrown out by the court, and uh, Never Say Never Again could go ahead. Why so, did they so why did they not want it to come out though? Like was it just the fact that competition they, they, they didn't want yeah, they they didn't want someone else using James Bond. So there's a whole lot of stuff, obviously, in this film that is not present and is noticeable by its absence when you've just watched, you know, 13 Eon films in a row. Yes, absolutely. And all of a sudden there's no gun barrel sequence, there's no pre-title sequence. There is an opening title song, but it's used a lot like a lot of I guess other action films in the 80s where there's kind of the song under the opening credits while everyone's doing stuff. Yeah. The the Uh, music in this movie is crap. It's so bad, hey. Extremely bad. Oh, my goodness. We can talk about that. Holy. Although I was watching the credits and some of the, I think it's the trumpet solos and stuff like that was done by Herb Alpert or something. Oh, my God, really? Of Spanish flea fame. I assume it's Herb Alpert of the Tijuana Brass. So I, I think that it's probably good music or certainly suits Herb Alpert, but it seems really out of place against this movie yeah again we can get into this but there they they make several choices in this in this film that actively work to undercut the movie are you referring to when it goes into this weird like jazz slap bass after well that's one of them he discovers his french contact dead in a waterbed and then has to chase fatima blush out of the house music that i have literally seen in a porno i'm pretty sure like (laughs) jesus it's very porn heavy. Like even the beginning where it's like, oh, the, the movie feels like a, it feels like the porn parody of Bond. It does. Yeah. Like it's very weird. That whole lovemaking scene on the boat with Fatima oh. Blush. <laughs> Let's get into it. Um, do you want to go first in the minute challenge? Uh, yes, I can go first. Okay. So my, so my list starts off with a question, Natalie, and it's, you go through all this legal wrangling you go through all of the trouble to wrest away the the rights to not only this story but also to specter and to blofeld specifically and then you cast max von sidow as blofeld that's great i mean theoretically great casting like amazing he's in two scenes he's in two scenes both of which were obviously filmed on the same day (laughs) what is going on so he is Blofeld, but he's never referred to as Blofeld. They refer to him. I, I usually watch these with closed captions on, and he's referred to in the closed captions as Ernst. Ernst. Yeah, they, they don't call him Blofeld <laughs> in the closed captions that come with the movie. And he refers to himself as the Supreme Commander of Spectre. Supreme Commander of Spectre. Something like that. Like, yeah, and yeah, Largo, he's not calling himself Largo, number one or whatever. Largo is number one in Thunderball. He was number four or something like that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, look, he's the three-eyed raven. I can't sure hold it against him for too much. Look, and he's I, great. Yeah. He's got the clipped vowels. He's got the, you know, you will surrender. He's a 25%. different type of Blofeld, but I think he could have been amazing. I think he could have been really, really cool. But he's just not in the movie. Mm. All that trouble. His, his cat is probably more present. Than <laughs> that's right. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you instantly notice the cat. It's like, oh, he's got the cat. Great. That's fantastic. <laughs> no, he's not in the movie. He is not a presence in the movie. He's not even threatening. Like, like he doesn't have in, – in Thunderball, he is a menacing presence. You don't even see him. Like, he's 
quite literally not in that movie. You don't see his face. I wonder but if that's why he's more threatening. Presence throughout yeah. the entire film, like like the threat of failure. That that that's what drives Largo through a lot of that movie is the fact that if he fucks this up, he's dead. But in this one, he's just some guy. Like in the <laughs> towards the end, like I'm pretty sure that second that second uh, scene towards the end of the movie, aren't they? They're basically having like a weird cocktail party. Yeah, because their plan's going to fruition. He's like, yes, it's all going so well. But the thing is, in Thunderball, the plan was to not detonate the weapons. And to get yes. the money. But in this case, they seem to be rejoicing that the bomb is going to go off. And well, I mean, everyone, everyone, the, the cartoonish evil meter has been turned up to 15 <laughs> on this, this particular movie, with good and bad results in various places. <laughs> uh, so anyway, that, that's my general thought opening salvo, is just the fact mm. that, like, and it's kind of emblematic for the entire movie. It's like you get the rights to this character. So much so that he's killed off in the opening scene of Octopussy, you know, where they're like, oh, you, we can't have him? Then fine, we're killing him off. We don't need oh, him. For your eyes only. Uh, for your eyes only, sorry, yeah. That they kill him off. They're like, we don't need him. It's fine. And you're like, aha, we've got him. I've got him. Like, I've got Blofeld. And he's just not in the movie. And <laughs> decisions like that are made again and again and again throughout the course of this film. It's so weird. Anyway. Very strange. <laughs> uh, second on my list, Sean Connery looks older than Roger Moore in this movie. Yes. He looks grizzled. I'm not saying he looks bad. He's in incredible shape. For a man his age, I think he was like in his early 50s. He's 52. He's 52. He looks incredible for 52. Yeah. Like I'm not taking away from him. He's got the the hairy chest still. They have a few moments where he's got the shirt open, just so you remember. Hey, remember my virility? There's, my there's testosterone. Where he's around and he's got he's he's shirtless and it's like he's a 52 year old man. He looks great. Yeah. Right. But he looks 52. He looks older than Roger Moore in Octopussy. It's the rug, man. It they is. Went, they went. They grade up the rug. They grade up the rug, but also it's kind of lighter on top. It almost looks yeah. fair in some lights. Like if you just got the black hair pieces. And did a touch of grey maybe at the temples. Yeah. But they, it's grey all over. And it looks, in some lights, it looks blonde or reddish. And it's it captivates you. Like you look at Sean Connery's face and then your <laughs> eyes just naturally drift up. Drift up to the, to the piece. To the Blofeld cat on his head. <laughs> it is very, very is it, strange. Is there a less convincing piece in history after this film until Donald Trump? <laughs> It is it is vaguely Trumpian in colour and, and form. <laughs> it's not quite as bouffanty. Definitely not. Not quite the volume. <laughs> and maybe it just maybe they tried it and it didn't look right. I will also say that he seems to be wearing a lot of bronzer. He's, he's, quite... he's very tanned. Well, you, I, I wonder if he was just tanned at that point because like the, for, from now on, I was I was going to say from from this point into his career going forward, he's very much elder statesman Connery. Like like this is definitely because I you know I had a look at um his filmography. So uh, so just before this one, he'd done uh like Five Days One Summer. I've never heard of that movie in my life. That's 1982 film. Yeah. He does Never Say Never Again. That's 1983. 84 is uh, Sword of the Valiant, which I don't know whether you've seen, but is a bananas movie. No. Then, 86 is Highlander, where he plays Ramirez, and by that time, he is proper, like, as we know him, Sean Connery, grizzled old man. Because then then it's um, The Untouchables. Name of the Rose, Untouchables, The Procedo. 89 is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he has white hair. Yes. Like, like, so by 89, six years (laughs) later, he is full-on 
old man Connery. And isn't he playing Harrison Ford's dad? And he's, he's only playing like Harrison Ford's five dad. years older than him, or something. Yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> <laughs> Harrison Ford is much older than you think he is. Yes, he was one of those uh, blessed with a youthful face actors. It's really interesting. Like I'm, I'm glad this film exists to see Sean Connery do the role one more time in a perverse way. Yeah, don't get way. me wrong. Yeah, yeah, he, he's actually really good. Like I have no problems with Sean Connery in this movie. He slips right back into the role. He is Bond. I. <sighs> You don't? You don't think so? I don't know, but I don't know if it's just because there's been such a big gap. And yeah, well, it was, it was six years or 12 no, it was years. longer than that. 12 years, 12, yeah. 12, 13 years. 71 was Diamonds Are Forever, mm. and then this is 83. So, yeah, 12 years. Uh, like, it's fine. It's He's good. Like, I'm, I'm being ungenerous, I guess. But there just <laughs> seems to be times where it's almost played. I know that they're trying to do that thing about there's a lot of references to getting older and he's got a car, which, of course, isn't an well, Aston Martin. But it's like, oh, they still it's still in pretty good shape. Well, and, it's, it's a Bentley, isn't it? I thought that was the point. It was his Oh, Bentley. was it a Bentley? I'm not good with cars, dude. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, it was like an, an old Bentley. And he was yes. like, you know, oh, they, they don't make them like that anymore. That's right. But but then they just make some really odd choices about what they put him in and where. And also they make every single woman just give him the absolute, you know, devouring eyes. Yeah. Even yeah, that, more that, so yeah. than they did with Roger Moore in Octopussy. And I Definitely. think that they do in A View to a Kill. Like every woman, he goes to the spa where Domino is and he's like, do oh, you man. service men here? And she's like, <laughs> yes, some more than others. With a whole, like, let's yeah, go for well, it like, right now. And basically biting her lip and pulling at her collar. Yes. Like, and then and then it cuts to what obviously happens in a spa stew, which is where a bevy of beautiful women sit around a pool in their bikinis. Um, yes, exactly. Now, I was, so, I was very disappointed he wasn't in the, the light blue Terry Towling at that well, point. This is the thing. They put him in a tracksuit with a I, I know. He looks like a dodgy uncle who's wandered into the wrong part of the sports club. Yeah, he looks like a dirty perv at that but point. But then they have every woman just looking after him like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really turned on by hair pieces. <laughs> really obvious hair pieces. I'm really turned on by middle-aged men in tracksuits. <laughs> you know what? It's Normcore. He was Normcore. <laughs> he, was, he was Normcore. He was ahead of his time. That's true. Well ahead of his time. It was all just... <laughs> Tracksuit pants and skivvies. Look, I mean, like, broadly, <laughs> I actually really liked Connery in this. I don't – I, I don't definitely see it. why – No, no, I, yeah, yeah, but but I, I definitely see where you're coming from, where it's like, yeah, he, he's he's past it. He shouldn't be playing James Bond anymore, but he, he got one, one last chance nice. to, and good on him. Daniel Craig is 50 – he's the same age. Yeah, now. I mean, like, it could, it could turn out that – he shouldn't have stayed on either. Oh, maybe. Like, who knows? Maybe. But I don't want to be ageist as well because I think the concept of an old Bond is an interesting one. No, that's um, true. And actually, that's that's the really interesting thing that this film does that I think the franchise hadn't actually really – I say the franchise. This isn't even part of the franchise. But this film very explicitly deals with the idea of an older Bond who's a bit past it. Mm. You know? Like, he's still suave and he's still a secret agent, but – the whole point of the so at the start of Thunderball, he goes to the the clinic because he was you know he sustained some injuries while on a job. Yes. But in this one, they're like, no, you're old and over the hill, and we need to beat you back into shape. <laughs> you need to get daily enemas, boys. Yeah. That's the solution. <laughs> right. There's obviously some uh, pointed jabs at 80s uh, health culture. 
Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the, the whole point is that he's an older Bond. Yeah. And I think that's some that's a well that the Eon franchise is going to start coming back to uh, again and again as we go on to be seen finally with um with Daniel Craig, which which you know starts. I've said it before and I'll say it again when we get there. But like you know, it starts with Casino Royale, a soft reboot of the franchise where he gets his double O's. It's Bond Begins, yeah. and then uh, immediately pivots to grizzled old super spy. <laughs> It's true, but at least at this one, he still, it's that whole, and we've strayed from your list, but we will return, but it's that whole thing. What I love is when you see movies from 1983 talking about oh, the, the guy they've got, Algy, who replaces Q, essentially. That's um, right. Well, well, he is Q, like, but. He's, he's AQ, he says. He says, he's oh, it's a- hard for one of us Qs to fool you. And he goes, Algernon, as if we're all. As if we know Algernon. exactly who that is. <laughs> I do like that dynamic though, because like you know, uh, Q uh, Major Bo- Major Boothroyd mm. is um like a very a uh, high status character. Like he's you know he's got the yes. the posh accent and everything, and this guy's a little chirpy Cockney. Yeah. So, oh, got some got some things for you, 007 or. Oh, but nothing here works. All the bureaucrats are taking over. Everything's <laughs> got to be done by the book. Oh, there's no money. If I got a job with the Americans, I'd go think of all their resources. Oh, it'd be lovely. You know, and it's like it's 1983, dude. Budget yeah. cuts are really gonna kick in a lot harder. Yeah, yeah. You don't you don't know how good you got it, Algie. Yeah. <laughs> you and your uh, non-heated um, lab. <laughs> it's probably the lab is just someone's house now. Someone's <laughs> basement. It's MI5. There's a Q. Yeah, just pop round to Bermondsey. He's got a garage, and he'll uh, <laughs> knock you up something uh, on his um, lathe. <laughs> trying desperately to think of a piece of carpentry equipment uh, <laughs> i really hope a lathe is indeed a piece of carpentry equipment why don't we go back to your list and continue yes okay well um so i had i had three things in rapid rapid succession and we can definitely talk about all three of them i said um fatima bush is fantastic <laughs> fatima bush fatima bush it's fatima Love blush it. fatima blush i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> but, but you know, either, either works Fatima Bush is way is way senior. I feel like I feel like that's more uh, that's more on on the money. I don't know. <laughs> I was trying to work out what the pun was with Fatima Blush because apparently it's a name. I think before they changed it to Fiona Volpe for Thunderball, she was Fatima Blush, so he kept that name. And I was trying to work out is that a pun of some sort? But Fatima it Bush sounds like a pun, but it's not actually a pun. Fatten, fatten my bush though. That's very I mean, much. That, we're getting there. Yeah, I feel like I've done. I've done a punch up on that one. <laughs> you really have. <laughs> anyway, um, she's fantastic. Could, she's delightfully. Like, uh, Barbara Carrera, I think is uh, is yes. her name, uh, and she is great. She is no. so delightfully evil throughout oh. the whole thing. Yes. Oh, wonderful. The way she <laughs> saunters down the stairs after killing that that like oh so yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. She's the way she little... she squeals in delight where when um Largo gives her permission to have another try at killing Bond. Yes. It's great, Natalie. It is fantastic. She, she is having the time of her life. I love she it. She has a snake for a pet. She sure does. That she throws into the guy's car, Pataki's <laughs> car, to scare him so he will crash. And I was sitting there thinking, well, that seems like a lot of it. I feel like because in Thunderball they just had a couple of gunmen you know, run up and shoot him. Sure. And I was like, oh, I see. So she's throwing the snake in there. She'll go and retrieve the snake so it'll look like he just crashed. There'll be no mysterious circumstances. <laughs> it'll just be written off as a crash. <laughs> exactly. And she goes up, yeah. brings her snake back, 
and then attaches a bomb, which she subsequently detonates, mm-hmm. yep. which is incredibly suspicious. It's incredibly suspicious. It makes no <laughs> sense. She had done the thing that was very, very clever, yes. and then they said, but we do want a big explosion, yes. so let's have her blow the car up. <laughs> the snake doesn't seem to make any sense. No. But then I was like, ah, but if you were frightened, because it's a python, it's not going to kill him by poison. Uh, well, I think, I think it's one of those things, too, where all snakes are supposed to be venomous before a, in film before a certain date. Yeah, true. I don't think that's supposed to read as a python. That's supposed to read as like a venomous snake. True. Well, it's just a snake, isn't it? They say that huntsmen's are like the second deadliest spider in Australia, not because of the venom that they have, but because they tend to crawl out. Onto your dashboard or in your windscreen and make has it. That, has that happened to you? Because it's happened to me. It happened. I was in the car one time with Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast, who is not the biggest fan of spiders. I mean, look, I'm not running out to collect them, but I seem to be able to deal with them a little bit better. And so this one came over who was like, uh oh. So I just said, just pull over, just pull over. And he got out of the car and we both got out and sort of escorted the spider out with some sort of newspaper or something that was in the car at the time. You know, this is the consequence, Stu, of the declining media industry and the, you know, stopping of printed newspapers because what are you going to escort your spiders out with if not a rolled-up newspaper? A rolled-up newspaper. That's right. So I think that's happened the one time, but I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat. But it happened to you? It definitely happened to me, yes. So, so it's And I did not react as calmly as you did. I definitely, there, there would have been some swerving, I think, involved. <laughs> um, but I just love that we've both had that experience. Like you say yeah. that to someone from overseas, they're like, wait, so everyone in Australia has had an experience where a huntsman has jumped out at them? It's like, well, yeah, other, yeah, absolutely. The other one is when you get like a spider and then it just starts like web you know and it just starts descending from the ceiling like you watch yeah. it kind of descend yeah, yeah, yeah. you like, watch it come oh. down you're like ah uh, that's going to be and an issue you, in a second if you wait long enough they just kind of crawl back up because they're spider-man so <laughs> that's kind of the point of that character they just mm. go back up the web but he spins a web any size you know but as we like to say canada has moose i mean they have giant destructive canada have you seen the size of moose they're really massive they are quite large and america it turns out America bears. They they go through your trash. Yeah, they they have large land animals that are extremely dangerous, and I think we we don't really have that in Australia. We, no, we, we have, have poisonous things, feral cats, and, and we have sharks if you go swimming, and yeah, that's well, kind of our big thing. Speaking of sharks, they make well, another return they, here. They sure do. Pond <laughs> and sharks, they go together. And and these sharks are actually like laser controlled or something, or they've got things on their fins. They're not yes, like, yeah, they're yeah. Like they're, sonic. they're like mind controlled sharks. <laughs> <laughs> Which look, that's the sort of over the top shit that I love. Yeah, that I, is true. Laser controlled sharks, I'm I'm all about it. Fantastic. <laughs> so Continue good. With your list, sir. Yes. So I said Fatima Blush is fantastic. Largo is okay. He's inconsistent. I think is the really. Big. I really thing. liked him on a rewatch. I, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I haven't seen this movie for a long time. I had no strong memory of him, and I can see why, because he kind of, I don't know, he just kind of, he's just kind of there. He's like the bad guy. And, and I, I can see what he's doing. I can see, like, he's trying to be a bit more mercurial as a villain. I mean, look, obviously his key mistake was not wearing an eye patch, because that's what Largo well, has in Thunderball. Exactly. Like, you know. But comparison, because Largo in Thunderball is just sort of like, I'm Largo, and what are you doing, Mr. Bond? And I've got pet sharks. He's not. Well, to be fair, like, like, you know, no one had really done that before. Like, like he was the guy who invented that, basically. Oh, pish. Uh, (laughs) I 
just mean in terms of in terms of Bond films, like the eye patch wearing Bond villain mm. is huh? large. No, I think, I, think, I think what I'm hearing, Stu, is this is you defending Thunderball. I think that's, that's what we're hearing here. What have I become? Yeah. What have I become? <laughs> I think that he, um, Klaus Maria Brandha, he's an Austrian actor. I think he's just more nuanced and is, as you say, he has, look, he's definitely the bad guy in the way he treats Domino, but there's also this weird possessive love he has for as well, whereas with Largo in Thunderball, it feels very much like just my pretty young thing, whereas this one does seem a little, I mean, it's completely creepy because he watches her through a two-way mirror into her onboard dance studio. Um <laughs> They keep a dance teacher on a retainer, I guess. Like, yeah, I wondered about that guy because you just saw him in that first scene where he's teaching her how to dance. Like, does he hang out with the crew? He's like, Jesus, this, this shit's weird, man. <laughs> okay, we've got to write that What's story. What's that big map for? <laughs> write that story. A guy brought on to be Domino's <laughs> dance like, coach. He's a dance instructor. Does he go down to the room where they have the giant world domination map? Like, what's, <laughs> what's his deal? He came on for one sort of trip and got off at the next port. Yeah, I guess, maybe. <laughs> like they do on you know, people who work on cruise ships. and. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Know, well, well, they, they seem to do that. And that's another thing. I mean, I, I guess we can talk about this now. Like, like, this movie is very disjointed. And if anything, it has even less of a ticking clock than yeah. Thunderball. There is no urgency to this movie. In- at least in Thunderball, there was the if you agree to the terms, you will sound yeah. Ben seven times at six o'clock or whatever it was. That's it. And and then you heard that that happened in the movie, and you're like, ah, oh, the UN's got to pay the money. We've still got to find these bombs. So or they're trying to find the bombs before they pay the money. Mm. This one is just uh, uh, they're gonna blow something up. There's no like declaration by Spectre that well they're not paying, so we're going to blow something up and here's yeah, the they, they just seems like it seems like the plan is always we are going to blow this up. Yes. And like one we're of, going to set up a nuclear bomb. And one of the bombs is in Washington, DC. Bond finds sure. that out. Um, and he's then told later in dialogue, "Oh, we found it and, and disabled and it." it. But it's like I mean, Largo has his in an ancient little known yeah, like, what, are they going to set it off there or were they just trying to recover it from there? Like, like, what was the deal? That was the hiding spot, I felt like. So they weren't going to set it off? They were going to sort of motor it down river to where the oil fields were. Oh, of course. Okay. Because that's what he that said. That makes that a the, sense, yes. Yeah, because Bond, when he's looking at the jewel, the pendant, which, by the way, Largo, I keep wanting that, to say Klaus, but it's, no, Klaus. that's the actor. Largo gives... Domino, a necklace, a very valuable necklace called the Tears of Allah, based on a Islamic legend that Allah wept in the bareness of the desert and a well sprang from his tears. Lovely story. Very nice. Mm. Very sweet. Tells it it's the most precious possession he has and to guard it with his life. She then is hardly ever seen wearing it. And then at the very end, when he says, show me your pendant, she's wearing it. And, and like, why did he give it to her? Like, why does it have the map on it? Yeah. What's he the... obviously didn't need it to get to where he needed to go because yes. she wasn't there when he went. It's a MacGuffin that is not needed and, in fact, yeah. helps the enemy. I... Yeah. I mean, I guess he wasn't to know that Bond would come in and take his girl. Maybe it was a... Oh, no, sure, sure. And, and that's fine. But it's like, you know, it just, like, it, what if he needed the pendant, why did he give it to Domino? And if he needed the pendant, then he obviously didn't because he found his way to the hiding place anyway. Like, the only thing it did was give Bond and the authorities a clue as to where he was. Yeah. That was, was the a, only thing. Yeah, very strange. It, it was a, it was a obvious patch for a plot hole. Yes. Like, it just, oh, uh, man. 
anyway. <laughs> so, I mean, look, Largo kind of was a bit hit and miss for me. I, I really liked a lot of the playful stuff he was doing with Bond, where he was sort of like going, oh, you know, we are having a little competition, you and I, mm. you know, all this sort of stuff. And, and like, you know, the scene where they're playing the computer game. Like, I love it's, that. It's, it's so great. Good. It's, that is it's, ridiculous. It's way better than because I think in in Thunderball they just go to the casino and he's playing and then he accompanies Domino to dinner. He says, "Oh, well, also like, they they have like a that they sit there and do like clay pigeon shooting at one point and stuff like that." Like, oh yes, they kind of combine it. Yeah. But it's not very interesting, whereas this is actually a really good high stakes yeah, fun game. Yeah, you, you get a sense that both men enjoy competition and enjoy the fact that this person is their equal. Yes, and Bond just needs a little bit of time to learn because he's 52 and video games are quite new. <laughs> but once he learns, he will always defeat you. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Uh, it's just that scene is wonderful. But again, it's one of those it's one of those things where the producers are trying to say this is Bond, like we're making a Bond film. So instead of playing Baccarat or instead of like, you know, being suave in a casino, we're going to have him like, move off to a side room and play video games with his friend. Well, it was 1982 and it's what it, the kids were into. Exactly. It was 1983. Like Space Invaders had just come out. You're all set. I feel like they would have had that idea and just really patted themselves on the back. Had Tron like, come out? Tron was 82, wasn't it? I, Stu, do you think I know when Tron is? <laughs> I haven't let seen me, Tron. Let me double check. It was around I then. have seen the Tron sequel that came out. Tron was 82. Tron was 1982. So Tron had already come out. So oh this movie's goodness. coming out on the back of Tron. It's okay. Jeff Bridges and Sean Connery in a battle for box office glory. <laughs> exactly. Exactly right. <laughs> no, but I just mean, you know, like, like the idea of like computer games as a very serious yeah. thing, like was but very. I could see them being excited for that, going, this is, we're oh, taking yeah. Bond out of his comfort zone and injecting stuff the kids are into yeah i guess i mean you know yeah i guess this would have been this would have been sort of cutting edge at the time to me the graphics of the game stand up they still look pretty decent i mean they look very 1983 the graphics that i i found hilarious were any of the graphics on largo's ship oh um, yeah <laughs> where there's just like these these wireframe models like sub computer game graphics yeah on there these, was on these ship screens there was one when um i think bond and, and domino were on the navy ship with felix lighter and they're like hold it hold it hold it there it is and they yeah. they've got like a representation <laughs> of the flying saucer coming out from behind a cliff yeah and it's literally a line drawing like it looks like something from where in the world is carmen san diego <laughs> it's ridiculous <sighs> anyway the, so game, look. the game itself actually looked quite fun I still couldn't work out exactly what you had to do. You had to shoot bits of a country or something. Yeah, but. it's like you could shoot bits and then I think you could, if you shot it, it turned back into, like, like you could change the colour. So, like, um, I think the rules are strange. And, like, you kind of have to chase each other around the board. You can't just, like, shoot, you know, start at one side and work your way across, which would seem yeah. to be the, the obvious way to sort of win that game. But, like, you have to try and capture land from the other person. Yeah. And then also fire off and it like thematically you have two nuclear missiles you have at your disposal yes yes i noticed that this time around and went ah yeah, i yes. see what they did there <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly so yeah like lago i mean lago was hit and miss for me it sounds like he was a, a bit more effective for you yes okay that's interesting yeah um and then the third the third one in, the, in my little list so fatima bush fantastic lago is inconsistent kim bassinger is basically naked in this movie <laughs> Um, 
They really go out of their way to dress her in either very sheer skin-tight things or very billowy uh, see-through things, to the point where she uh, is in the water at one stage in a billowy white dress that basically disappears as soon as she as soon as she gets wet. Is that at the end when they um, yeah. jump yeah, a yeah. horse off but, the side of yes. a cliff? Yeah. Oh, God damn it, that scene, Natalie. <laughs> I had forgotten about that scene. How could I forget Me about too. that scene? I think my brain rejected it. <laughs> what an insane the, scene. They do put in a lovely shot of the horse swimming away. Yeah. Like, I can I mean, only hope was the same horse. I just I hope, don't know if they hope. jumped a horse off. I, I really hope as a model horse, it looked alarmingly like they dropped a real horse a distance into water, upside down. Which look, I would not put past them. It's 1983. We are we are not into the era where I can trust a movie like that. <laughs> like maybe they just dropped a horse off a cliff. Who knows? <laughs> but they do put in the little shot of the horse. But there's a shot of, 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 like, of a you. horse. Swimming away. You go, you little horse. You go, you little man. He's, he's swimming out to sea. He's starting a new life under the sea. <laughs> you swim to freedom. <laughs> Equine freedom. But that uh, whole movie, and, and so that's another that's another thing, and I, I, I wanted to sort of bring that up, is that there's so many moments in this movie where Sean Connery is trying to do a heroic thing, and then he's either too slow or can't do it. It's very strange. Like, he has a gun shot out of his hand later on. Like, yes. he prevails in the video game, but there's an extended period where he's just getting his ass handed to him. Yes, yes. They kind of make that point at the very beginning where he fails his t- mission, the the opening kind of titles play over Bond in some sort of jungle somewhere doing a yeah. mission. And it's that it, thing of, of, like, Bond's a little bit old, a little bit over the hill. He's maybe not up to this anymore. Okay. In his defence, he's killed everyone, and then he's freeing a woman who's, like, a hostage, and she pulls a knife from somewhere and stabs him, and that would have been a kill. He would have been dead. And you've got – it's not M, is it? Is it M? The, the, uh, it's M. I'm pretty sure it's M. He's uh, all like, no, no, no. I'm yeah, a younger yeah, man, uh, but I'm um, going to... Yeah, Edward, Edward Fox is Edward M. Edward Fox. So he's all cranky at Bond. He's got one note through this entire film, and it's just being pissed off at Bond for Super existing. Pissed. Super pissed. And he says, well, you should know that she could have been brainwashed if she was a kidnap victim for eight weeks, and she could have been brainwashed. And he says, things are a little different in the field. You've got the adrenaline running. And I sort of wanted to go, well, yeah. And so in real life, <laughs> as the film continues, the guy attacks him at the... Uh, health retreat which is called the same thing shrublands shrublands remember how i made that comment during thunderball like why would you choose that for your you know beautiful rustic health retreat shrublands they've decided to do it again they've gone no it's very important we keep that as opposed to you know the haven or the retreat or shrublands shrublands uh and so that guy attacks him when he's in the weights room so they didn't have that whole back remember in thunderball it was the back uh, someone flipped the switch on the yeah, back it was, it was a traction machine traction and, machine and I, I said i didn't understand why the machine had that setting yes and they've obviously <laughs> the learned from setting. that and they've gone well let's just have him be in on a bench pressing which honestly i mean makes a lot more sense and makes yes. for a better fight i think like the fact that he actually has to fight someone is, is yes. quite good and he fights him quite dramatically whereas i think in thunderball he just kind of wraps a phone cord around his neck and gets the <laughs> hell out of dodge was this one it's like they destroy the kitchen and everything so i There's do feel cuckoos like, in the middle who's like you maniac oh. I feel like they did make some better choices 
in this film. Yeah, definitely. What they have Bond go through, and it's proportionate. He's not going to be as fast. He's not going to be as agile. He's going to be less strong than younger men who are trained killers. So <laughs> exactly, exactly. And he and he, he beats him basically by accident. Like he yes. kicks him into into a glass thing, and he gets all stabbed. His own urine his sample. His own urine sample. Yeah, that was quite. Does that was he a nice throw it touch. in his face? He does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He throw, throws the urine sample in his face and he falls backwards into, like, glass bottles and stuff. There was something about where it's like, Mr. Bond, we'll need a urine sample. Please fill this cup. And then it's a great line, he says, from here. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good line, but I just, like, I don't want to think about James Bond urinating. Well, I, I appreciated it because they 100% toned down his inappropriate sexual advances towards the <laughs> yeah. nurses just trying to do their job. That uh, is so true. That is yeah. a one, 100% improvement over the previous version <laughs> yeah. of this he, movie. He woos her with a suitcase packed full of caviar. Yeah, <laughs> Vodka. I love the fact he's like, no, I, I'm not worrying about any clothes. They can provide me with a tracksuit. I'm just bringing yeah, caviar. I, I, brought, I brought supplies. I brought essentials. <laughs> Oh goodness! I tell you what, he's got he's got a suitcase full of pate, foie gras, <laughs> cheese, like all that all that stuff. Yeah, he's gonna need those colonics, I think. <laughs> that doctor was way too obsessed with colonics. <laughs> There's something going on there. Just really, <laughs> hey everyone, this is the best way forward. Now we're all going to put on robes and meet me at midnight for the special evening ceremony. Like it's getting culty. <laughs> I'm not a medical expert, but I really don't think colonics are medically necessary for <laughs> detoxing. They're definitely not. But I think in, in in 1983, that was the prevailing wisdom was you had to clean everything out. Yeah, just get a hose right up there. I had a friend, she might have gone a few times actually, but she was a big fan of health retreats in Bali. She went to one where you, you kind of just ate soup and tea all day it was a or some sort of juice concoction and oh, it was right, a, yeah. you know and then you have to give yourself daily colonics or daily enemas i guess sure. as part of the process and i was like and you're paying how much for this? <laughs> and there are other things you know you do yoga massages it sounds lovely apart from the you know all right everyone into the shower let's go meet you back here in an hour with your bags make sure they're full <laughs> And if you're just tuning in, you're here on Talking Colonics with Nat and Stu. <laughs> All the biz that's right for your butt. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of slogans now. Yeah, yeah I, was just, I was just trying to think of myself. <laughs> and we're talking through our ass like here on with Nat and Stu. <laughs> I've never had one. And sometimes I no, think. No, neither have I. <laughs> sometimes I think maybe I should get one just to see what it's like. They are medically neutral. Exactly. But then I've had, I went and got kinesthesiology once just to see what it was like because I, I think. Mean, it's mostly just a relaxing lie down, isn't it? It wasn't even that. It was just like lying there while this woman moved my limbs. Mm. Like she moved my joints back and forth and did this thing where I'm going to ask them questions. <laughs> and. What, like what's the capital of France? Like. <laughs> The main ingredient in mashed potatoes is... <laughs> Does your knee joint have a special subject? Yeah, apparently so. <laughs> uh, the French Baroque uh, for three points. <laughs> it was like asking them, like you move it and then you ask a question and then if it unlocks, like that's a positive answer or something. This was just my experience. I, I am not casting aspersions on the great and noble profession of kinesthetics. 
anesthesiology. Um, well, I am. <laughs> anyway, point was my private health insurance eventually took off that and a bunch of other sort of woo-woo so they, so they should have. Well, but the thing is, they didn't lower the rate that I pay. Well, yes, that's true. I'm still paying the same amount. We're possibly getting into a totally different podcast. I don't know if I do. I think you could get, no, I don't think you get iridology, but I've often thought I should try that one out. They look what, at your eyes. What manner of nonsense is that? They look at your eyes and they tell you what's wrong with you based on your eyes. <laughs> so and basically just, they give you a good hard stare. Yeah. It's a stare-based cure. <laughs> I want so to kind of basically go there. so they, they they stare at you and then they tell you what's wrong with you so it's the distant father therapy. They can <laughs> Daddy, do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> Why don't you ever spend time with me, Dad? <laughs> Your humors are out of balance. <laughs> Well, this is the thing they also, look and they. Also, you're a terrible disappointment to me and your mother. <laughs> I think that they look at, you know, if you've got flecks in your eye or how dark your pupils. I don't know. I assume there's a quote unquote science behind it. I don't want to get these things because like, I don't particularly believe that they work. But um, part of me just wants to kind of watch the people doing it and going, do you believe or do you know you're a grifter? Yeah, <laughs> trying try to you? figure it out. Which side are you coming at this from? I'm quite fascinated by grifters and con artists and things like that and, um, you know, psychics and stuff. Like, I've never been to a psychic, apart from that time when I got a free reading from a guy at the powerhouse. Oh, really? Just to diverge. Bless, I love the Brisbane powerhouse. They are my true, true loves and uh, the glorious venue. For a festival a couple of years ago, they had an opening night event where they actually got three psychics in to do like just for fun, I guess, as part of the mood of the festival, they went and we've got opening night and we've got free psychic readings. So you just like queue up and you get a free 10 minute. (laughs) And they did different sort of thing to do. Yes, that's right. Well, it was just a bit of fun. It wasn't anything uh, demanding or anything like that. And so I went, all right, I'm going to go and queue up. And I think I went to two of them out of the three. Can't remember what the woman said to me, but I remember the bloke because he was this top bloke, probably 60, 70, older guy, and he was doing cards, and then I pulled these cards, and he went, oh, oh so what do you think uh, that means? <laughs> <laughs> Aren't you supposed to tell me? Are you supposed to tell me? That's how this works, right? And he went, well, I just normally that's a card, of, uh, you know, you, you associate with, say, um, ambition or future plans or something. Does that make any sense? <laughs> You know what? I would be more inclined to believe that guy. This is the thing. I This yeah. is why I remember him, because he wasn't attempting to, like, sell me on some bullshit. He was just going, does that make yeah. any sense to you? <laughs> he seems vaguely befuddled by the whole thing. He said, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm actually in this festival. I'm performing a show. And he was like, that's great. Well, I think you've got a good thing ahead of you because you're doing a show. That's <laughs> not... um. Uh, psych- psychicness, what do they call it? Psychic power, telepathy, mind reading. Psychic power. That's just him wishing you well. <laughs> exactly. It's it's just a nice chat. But I really. Hey, look, I mean, isn't isn't that what most people are after out of those sessions anyway? Yeah, bless them. But I do <laughs> want to get one where someone, like, just a random one, where they can't sort of walk into a back room and quickly Google you because I'm on the internet, Stu. That's if you true. were a psychic and you knew I was coming in, you would listen to this podcast. And you would hear me talking about how, you know, <laughs> oh, I'm getting old and I'm really worried about it. I'm overweight and I'm really worried about it. And I'm a performer with no venues in. You would listen to all of these things and you'd sort of fashion some sort of 
plausible argument for what might happen. That's what I feel. So the only way I feel like I can honestly go to some sort of psychic is if it was a random person, hopefully in a different country, at least a different state, who doesn't know you from Adam. You walk in, you pay your 20 bucks or whatever it is, and they tell you, you're going to win a million dollars. And I walk out going, oh, that's all rubbish, but secretly. <laughs> but if they're good at their job at reading you, they're just going to look at me and go, you're a bit worried about your age and your weight, aren't you, sunshine? <laughs> Maybe take a chill pill and relax. How do they possibly know? <laughs> Where were we? We were talking about James Bond, weren't we? I think at one point we were talking about James Bond, yes. <laughs> I had basically finished my list, so okay. so I think that was it. Uh, so what did you have on your list? Okay. The first thing I wrote down was, I mean, sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's the general vibe of this. It's like, yeah, okay, <laughs> let's do this. Sure. I very much remember a cruise that I went on with my parents when I was about 12, right? maybe 13, and we went to Florida and we went to Disney World. Yes, I know. I, was, I had a very privileged upbringing. Very aware. Sounds amazing. Wasn't at the time because it's just normal. You just go with your family and you all sleep in an American double bedroom and they don't have fridges <laughs> there. So you have to get your drinks and put them in the sink with ice from the ice buckets that they have available on every floor. So it wasn't like I was staying in Palazzo Versace's or Luxury. whatever. Luxury. We got a soft drink and put it in, this, in the sink with us. You had a sink with ice. We had a sink with ice. We just had a glacier. Um, we had to hold the ice in our hands. <laughs> and our hands would go numb, but we were lucky to have it. And we would blow on our hands to try to stop the ice from melting. <laughs> and if it did, we'd be out in the snow holding the ice in our hands in the snow. And snow was hard to come by in Florida, I can tell you that. <laughs> But yes, I was very lucky and got to go to Disney World. That was really fun. And then we had this little three-day cruise on to the Bahamas. It was like from Florida or wherever it was, somewhere in Fort Key West something, Fort Lauderdale. I don't know. We went to the, the place where the big things take off. Uh, Cape Canaveral? Or? That's the one. Yeah. You know what I meant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the place where the big things take off. Yeah, you mean the rockets, the, Natalie? The, the rockets. The, <laughs> the Kennedy Space Center thingy. Sure, yes. So that was quite fun. And we went then on this little three-day cruise down to Nassau. And I remember getting off in Nassau on the jetty and there was this big poster of Never Say Never Again and Sean Connery, the movie poster, looking a little weathered. And <laughs> said, Never Say Never Again was filmed here, 1982. So I remember that. And that's a thought that I have associated with this film. The theme song is not good. The theme it's song not- is a piece of crap. It's so bad. I'm going to have to top and tail this podcast with that song. So Mm. (laughs) I then wrote Barbara Carrera is nuts. And I mean that in the best possible way. She seems to be a bit bit of an odd character. She was a model and then sort of did a bit of acting and stuff like that. But she's done a bit, but not since 2004. She seems to have kind of dropped off the, the radar. And she's in her 70s now, but she's still mm. still alive, apparently, according to Wikipedia. Um, I read <laughs> after that her water skiing in a G-banger. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just want to talk about the logistics of the oh, Nassau stuff. The logistics of, like, every single one of her outfits. Later on, she's wearing, like, what is basically just two bits of cloth that are vaguely in the same vicinity as her. <laughs> Like, she's just sauntering about and, like, everything's waving around. It's very distracting. She's got a lot 
of upfront. <laughs> she's got uh, a lot of stuff going on. And out back. Yeah. Oh yes. Um, and she's got this incredibly, as you mentioned, Kim Bassinger, and this was a point on my list, and I'll, I'll come back to the Nassau stuff, but Amazing Fashion was next on my list. I actually think this film stands up as probably one of the best for really amazing fashion of that really? time. I think this is extremely 80s. But, Stu, you've got to look at things in context. You know how a lot of people in Brisbane <laughs> don't like the Queensland Performing Arts complex uh, center at South sure, Bank yes. because it's like brutalist architecture style. It's a famous example of brutalist architecture, yes. Famous example. It's heritage listed. It is an incredible building mm. and it's very easy to kind of look at it and go, well, that's a big, ugly block of concrete. Sure. <laughs> but it's actually beautiful. Like it's actually stunning. And when you look at the rationale behind it and the way it was constructed to blend in with the hills behind it so your eye would travel from the building up into the hills. Of course, you can't see the hills now because someone raised the tower limit or the building permit limit and now there's <laughs> high rises behind it. So thanks. But it was designed to be part of the landscape. It's not designed to be river focused because that wasn't really the style back then. So it's away from the river, but it blends more into the mountains. Anyway, I'm raving. The point is a lot of people <laughs> look at it and go, knock it all down, build another theatre. But they don't actually caption what they think a theatre should be. And practically and in that style, it's actually really, really good as a theatrical venue. The acoustics are great. The atmosphere is great. The way it's able to move people it through. It is good. I've seen several shows there. It's wonderful. Yes. So it's a really good venue. In the same vein, those fashions of the 80s are totally over the top and very stylized and very non-practical. And Barbara Carrera wears everything from capes to hats she, with feathers. Hey, don't get to, me wrong. I love the cape. Yeah. Parachute pants. <laughs> she does. Uh, She's got everything and a lot of structured outfits. She's got one outfit that's like, you know, it almost looks like like leather. Yeah, I feel like the timing is good too because, like, I feel like a lot of that stuff is starting to come back into style as well. So this is what I'm saying. The yeah. dress that Kim Bassinger wears in – Which one? The one that disappears? No, no, no. In the casino scene and the tango oh, yeah, dance yeah, yeah. scene. It is extraordinary. It is beautiful. It's a mixture of structure and chiffon – breeziness so it's like soft but strong it's you don't think it looks vaguely like she's wearing a meringue no not at all <laughs> her hair is meringue in that that's outfit true. maybe that, maybe that's what influenced me she's got this sort of faux victorian top pile a bit gibson girly on the top of her head but it's an amazing depiction of their characters both of them are dressed so well for their characters and yes kim bassinger is a beautiful young woman so she's half naked half the time or in very skin tight sort of outfits <laughs> barbara carrera is the older woman she's in a lot of structured things or she's in things that she's very body body positive about body conscious like body body first She's in like really high bikinis and G-bangers and she has this recurring motif where when she's in public and she's on show or she's being disciplined, so when you see her at the very start going into the headquarters of Spectre and when you see her at the casino, her hair is all back. She's just totally prim. She's not a hair out of place. As soon as she gets permission to go kill or when she's on her killing sprees, she yeah. flings her hair she out. Everything comes down and all of a sudden you've got – and so in the final scene where she confronts Bond and he ends up killing her, her hair is just this wild mess. Mm. It's glorious. You mean the scene where uh, he blows her up with a pen gun? Yes. Yes. That's, yeah, that's <laughs> 
that's the scene I'm talking about. But what I mean is I think that there's an incredible job done on costume design with this film and to a lesser extent the men in the film as well, but certainly not. I think Rowan Atkinson is very well dressed. Yes, Rowan Atkinson is also here. Rowan Atkinson is in this film. How did I not remember to write that on my list? Nigel Small Fawcett, I think is his name. Yeah. Jesus Christ. But he's doing a weird thing with his voice where he's got like a he's sticking his bottom jaw out. Yeah, he's doing a he's doing a weird affectation. Yeah, like he's inc- he's just too highly educated. He's like I'm slightly inbred and overly educated and a bit tough. <laughs> um here he is, Mr. Bond. He's very clearly there for pure comic relief. That's his whole deal. Yes. And he's fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. He's so young, it's really it's amazing. It's incredible to think about. Like, I'm like, not the nine o'clock news was not too long this, before this. Yeah, it would have been in the not the nine o'clocks. It's certainly just before Blackadder. Yeah. So I think the first Blackadder season is eighty four, eighty five. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So was, yeah, yeah, before the first season of Blackadder. That's crazy. And he's definitely not uh, sexy Rowan Atkinson, aka season two. Uh, season two of Blackadder. Yeah. Be- Tell you what, bearded, bearded, bearded Atkinson. I would park my corset under those britches. <laughs> Any day. <laughs> See, there I was talking about fashion like I had some sort of expert, and then you can't park a corset under a bridge. <laughs> no, your, your credibility is shot, Ravley. It's totally shot. But you see what I mean about the costumes for the women in this film. Like, they're incredibly detailed. That, that Kim Bassinger dress, I, I was like, I want to get that dress because it's – It's got so much going on, but it's also just incredibly simple. Like it's got all this structure and detail and she's got the sort of these um, beads or something hanging down her back. She's got one arm with a almost like a, what do they call those things that knights would have over their shoulder, like a shoulder guard? I want to say a pauldron, but. Okay, that that sounds plausible. (laughs) Yeah, it's just, it's beautiful. And then they have her in swimsuits and. And then obviously at some point she's somewhat problematically sold to Arabs. Okay, yes, let's just. She is definitely sold to Arabs. Let's just. Can we just address that for a second, Natalie? <laughs> I was just going to move quickly on, Stu, but no, okay. No, 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 no. Can we address <laughs> the spectre of white slavery in this movie? <laughs> By Is it a spectre? It's one incident. It's. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, it's a Spectre agent involved, so... Yes, true. (laughs) He sells her to Arab people. He doesn't, because it doesn't end up happening. You know, the transaction is not closed. Um, Bond jumps in and saves her virtue. Sure. Because she's a young white woman. Look, okay. (laughs) Okay. I get it. But I will also say to you, Stu, that when I was in Morocco, somebody offered a number of camels for me. Okay. Now, I was a lot younger and thinner and it was possibly a joke. But somebody, a Moroccan person, offered camels in exchange for me. Are you doing a bit right now or or is that a real story? That's a real story. Someone offered to pay camels for you. Yeah. Someone offered to pay Greg from the Smart Enough to Know Better podcast. A number of camels. I have forgotten the number. It was like a decent amount of camels. Find out. You'd want to know your market value. I feel like it was around 30 camels, but I could I could be getting tickets on myself. <laughs> but I suspect it was like a little bit of local colour, you know? Like, right. hey, here come, here come all the stupid white people. Let's offer them camels for their women. That's what they expect. They want the story to go home with. Let's just do it. Sell the spices, sell the carpets and move on. 
Because, look, I, I bought some spices after I heard that. I was like, really, me, camels? Sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Actually, no, I don't think I – I think I was only told later that it happened, but still. So it was a little bit a bit of a kick to the self-esteem. <laughs> I am not suggesting that anyone do what I do, okay? I don't do what I say or do. <laughs> I'm a problematic person, and I appreciate that, Stu, but I'm just going to say that if you found out someone wanted to offer – you know, rose camels for you, would you not be at least a bit compliment? <laughs> well, if they're offering 30. That's a lot of camels. And look, I know you can go into Outback Queensland and probably round up 30 in half a day, but the point remains. <laughs> it's a lot of camels. I need a lot of therapy is the point. Uh, <laughs> I'm just so glad you thought that was a bit. Well, I was like, are you making a joke right now? <laughs> nope, nope, this is a real story. That implies that maybe I could develop that story into something, you know, comedic for performance purposes. <laughs> 30 Camels, the Natalie Behensky story. <laughs> it's the next one-woman show. Stu, if you have any ideas, if anyone listening has any ideas, please, I need fodder for a one-woman show. Uh, I did Game of Thrones. I did the Raven on one-woman show. Many listeners came to see it in either Brisbane or Perth or Sydney. You are all beloved to me, and I love you very much. What else would you pay money to see me do? <laughs> That's it. That, I, I wouldn't put that question out on the internet, Natalie. <laughs> Oh, good point. Look, Stu, let's face it, desperate times. Uh, <laughs> willing to really investigate options that a year ago well, I might have put to one side. <laughs> you know, I feel like there's definitely a hump joke with the camel thing, so that's pens down, mm-hmm. you know. That's the first <laughs> 10 minutes sorted. Just need a little bit of filler, a song to finish on, and then we're done. What was I up to? Let me get back to my list. Amazing fashion. A super cool domination game. I really like that game. Mm. I said there's less underwater stuff than Thunderball. That wouldn't be hard because, like, Thunderball, the movie, is 95% underwater scenes. Ah, uh, okay. In, I don't, know, I don't so, know how that happens. So out of the two hours, ten minutes running time of Thunderball. No, no, Natalie. No, no, two hours, ten. I mean, that, that's how long That's how long this movie goes for. This movie goes for about – how long does this movie go for? I think it's longer. I think it's, like, two hours, twenty Two hours, it does. It goes for two hours and 14 minutes. But obviously still not as long as Thunderball, uh, which is actually a film that is, uh, I think, let me just check my notes here, 11 days long. It's very strange. 11 days. 11 days. It's, it's, It's a long movie. I am surprised uh, we got that podcast out on time. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, I mean, it was it was touch and go. Uh, we both had to watch in shifts, but, you know, I think we got the general gist of it. We had and, to watch um, in shifts with electrical shock devices. Just yes, to keep, yes, exactly. Keep us awake. <laughs> it was just Rose with a prod, like... It's a very long movie, Natalie, is my point. <laughs> okay, all right. I hadn't, I hadn't um, heard that from you before, so I'll just, yeah, I'll note that down. Yeah, no, I don't think I've mentioned it before, but it is a long movie, mm. very long mm. Yeah, we're 11 days. Okay, 11 yeah. days. So this one's two hours 15. Mm. So it's not quite as long. It's not quite as long, but they do a lot of stuff that in – they do a lot of stuff in Thunderball on land or in different ways here, and then they do some stuff in this film that Thunderball did. Like they, they completely lost the whole – you know how Thunderball had the speed ramping where the Disco Volante yes. sped yes, up yes. and crashed into a reef and they had to jump free? But Domino had shot Largo. So they keep Domino shooting Largo, but this time it's all underwater. Yeah, yeah. They, they take the underwater stuff and they turn it into the climax of the film, which is a weird choice – because, as we've said in the past, like underwater fights aren't like thrilling. <laughs> I well, just don't find. But at the same time, you know, all. they find the underground lair of the Tears of Allah, mm. again beautifully preserved ancient ruins, and <laughs> Felix gets back up from the U.S. Navy guys, and then they have their fight in that set. 
Yeah, exactly. They don't have the big underwater knife fight that Thunderball had. No, but they, then, but then they then have the the one on one fight with him and yeah, Largo underwater. The, the, the epic coup de gras is all delivered underwater. And then they find like like, like there, there was no reason for Domino to be there at that point. No, except justice, Stu. Well, justice, yes. And she harpoons him, which is what Domino does in Thunderball. So I I like that consistency. I feel like a good harpoon death is worth the wait. It's a really weird configuration to the film where I, I felt like you, you definitely feel in Thunderball like Domino in that movie like has justification, whereas in this one it's just sort of like I, I know I know he's just tried to sell her to Arab men, but <laughs> yes, you know, and also he killed her brother. Like and he, he killed her brother. Him. I guess it's the but I mean I just emotionally I didn't make the connection. Well, I, don't, well, I don't know. He, maybe maybe it's just me. Maybe you felt differently, but I just yeah. I really felt like it came out of nowhere in this movie. Yeah. Well, the violence is less overt. Mm. Um, he, he tortures her. In, in Thunderball, yeah, um, he goes to start torturing her and he has her tied to a bed and it's really quite visceral. Yes. Whereas in this one, he jokes with her after giving her the pendant. Like, oh, I'm so crazy. <laughs> I'm such a crazy, weird European man. I'm so crazy. Let's put on craft work. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> what is this sound? Plastic Do you like techno? Oh, it sounds so poor. It drops a bit. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, I, f- I felt like... The lack of underwater stuff helped this film. Having said that, if I can just take it back to Nassau and the sharks, that was oh, yes. stuff yeah. that was actually quite fun to watch. But also, Bond goes to Nassau. Why does he go to Nassau in the first place? For some That's reason... Very good question, Natalie. For some reason, he's sent to Nassau and he gets Nigel Smallforcet to look up where the Largo <laughs> ship is going or has it sailed is it in he finds out that it's just sailed heading for france before he finds out though he's having a drink at a bar by the beach and barbara carrera is water skiing in a g-banger in front of him and is able to make eye contact with him because she knows who he is she she worked out was at shrublands because as we know like james bond is the worst spy (laughs) the bad guys know exactly who he is Why he's there. Yeah, so it's it's kind of Bond sort of takes the piss out of Nigel Fawcett, small Fawcett, for being um, wary about, you know, wanting to keep secure and wanting to not give things away or be followed. Mm. And Bond just keeps rolling his eyes at him because <laughs> this guy. And it's, that seems cautious. And yeah, it's very, it's very <laughs> reasonable. <laughs> Whereas Bond just goes, oh, all right, I'm going straight to the bar for a drink where a deadly female assassin will perform gusset bearing tricks in front of me and then (laughs) into my arms and then declare she would like to take me out to sea (laughs) that's not suspicious at all it's just not on the job i actually thought that he was not going to say my name is bond james bond in this film at all because i think at first he says my name is james bond someone and then later on he says my name is bond he says my name's james yes to barbara carrera and i thought oh maybe they're not allowed to legally say bond james James bond maybe not then he does say that to Domino when he introduces oh, himself yes, formally yeah. to her. So I think they just saved it up, teased it out. So she takes him on a boat that she has for reasons. Not the flying saucer though, right? Like like a different boat. No, no, no this is this is just like a regular fishing boat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he says he's in town fishing, and she says, "What for?" And he says, "Whatever I can get." I'm like, "You're no, James yeah. Bond, dude. Have a bit of a level." <laughs> Have a standard. <laughs> You're James Bond. 
I'm not trying to be anti-feminist with that, but I'm just saying. Uh, so he. <laughs> Come on, James. So, he, so at least say respect like a good. Yourself, man. If you, I, know yeah. you, I know you don't respect women, but at least respect yourself. <laughs> so he says to Barbara Carrera, "Yes, all right, let's let's go out on your big boat." And then the next thing is he's placing a call to someone from the bridge of the boat. And she says, come down here, James, throws him a wetsuit and says, this will fit you well. He proceeds to nude up in front of her. Like you see him taking his shirt off, then his just pants. in front of this stranger. And then he's just like taking the undies off and he's like, uh, you you fill it out well or something. And, he, and she's like, mm, so do you. He's like, how long until we reach the reef? And she's like, there's plenty of time to kill. And then they start having sex. And then there's this incredibly weird montage yeah. of them in sexual positions interspersed with pictures of fish. <laughs> it's very weird. It's always like in um, comedy movies where they show the stock footage of like the train going into the tunnel and, yeah. the, and the, the smokestack rising <laughs> and stuff like that. But it's all fish. And I'm like... <laughs> What am I meant to be taking out of this? They're having sex in the stock room of the ship, like the equipment mm. room in the bow of the ship, and there's no door. They're just having it off. Yeah, that's right. And she's still wearing, like, I think she's wearing a red swimsuit or something still. Or is she nude? I can't quite remember. I, for some reason, re- recall seeing her in red still. But they've got scenes of them kind of making out, like macking on on the ground, on the floor, and then cuts to fish, cuts back, and it's her, like, leaning out sort of in the door frame, just, like, leaning back going, oh, <laughs> cuts back. They're macking on again, cuts to fish, cuts back, and then I think they the boat tips and they slide down out of view. So there's yeah. this wheel, like, is it sexy? Is it funny? They went for the comedy slide. Is it supposed <laughs> to be really? Because the porno music in the background is yeah. saying one thing, and then... Yeah, but of course her whole thing is being like the best at sex. Yes. And she <laughs> insists that when she's killing Bond, she has to get him to write down that she was the best lover. Yeah, she um, wants to write a note that I presume she's going to show to people. Like, I mean, who is that? It's a scrap of newspaper that she finds in this, you know, bike <laughs> shed area under a bridge where Bond ends up trapped by her. And she finds a scrap of newspaper and says, write down that I'm your best lover. It's clearly not legitimate. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't hold up in court. I'll just say that. Uh, So, Miss Blush, uh, you're telling me that to take notes, you carry as a matter of course with you shredded pieces of newspaper to which you write legally binding documents. (laughs) (laughs) I put it to you, Your Honour, that this woman is a liar. (laughs) Uh, yes, but I am still the greatest rapture James Bond ever had in his life. Huh. Are you? Are you? Uh, very that strange. That has not been legally established, Your Honour. But then he shoots her with the pen gun and the dart sure just kind of... and then she blows up. She completely <laughs> incinerates. And then Felix Leiter... She's like, her. I was here the whole time. How long were you here for? Long enough to see how you got on with the lady. So what, you've got, you can see that she's holding a gun to him. She's she, just murdered a woman. Nothing left but her fabulous stiletto shoes. Yes. I don't know why that, that like, tickles me so much, but I'm like, I love that. that. That's really cool. But then Felix is like, ha, huh, I just wanted to see how you were getting on with the lady. It's like, <laughs> I murdered her. <laughs> Let's go, Felix. You couldn't just kind of have side-tackled her and... I get that he needs he needs to kill her, but it's like, he blew her up. 
<laughs> well, I also do want to say about Felix. He's the first African-American actor to play Felix. Of yes, course, yes. We have, I mean, like, not canonically, but... Well, yes, of course. But one of the reasons for that apparently was, I think Sean Connery had a chat with the actor, whose name I think is Bernie Casey, and said, look, we've had all these different Felix lighters. Nobody ever remembers who he is. If we have a black guy, people will probably remember. <laughs> Now, I didn't because I haven't seen this film in ages, so I barely remembered that Kim Bassinger was in it. And <laughs> she popped up and I was like, oh, that's right. But I thought that was really good. I thought that was great because he was a, quite a charismatic Felix Leiter. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, as far as Felix's go, he's great. A lot younger than James. Yeah, like, like it actually is a weird because like normally Felix is, is presented as either as old or a little bit older than Bond. Yes. Whereas in this one, like, obviously that's been very much reversed. Like, Bond yeah. is the older statesman and, and Felix is the young gun. Yes. But he still <laughs> seems to have a back history with him. Sorry, I just got to go back to Nassau. I keep missing the point. Right, sorry. The, no, 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 it's okay. I'm distracting myself. But they go out on the boat. Barbara Carrera, instead of just maybe shooting him on the boat, dumping him at sea. Where, where's the fun in that, Natalie? Gets to go down to a dive, a wreck. Sure. Put and some sort of remote controlled sharks after him. Remote controlled sharks after him. Puts a little, you know, a lure on his tank. And then she just swims away. And he doesn't notice her swimming away. And then all the sharks turn up. Now, what I love about these sharks is because they're like remote control. And I assume they're real sharks. I don't know. Maybe they were just really good. Um, they looked pretty real. They looked pretty real. But there's one at one point where he's trying to hide in the wreck and he's closing doors behind him. And there's this one shark that's like, batting his head through the door trying to yes, get at him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was laughing so hard because it reminded me of, you know, when I close the door over and I'm trying to use the bathroom and, like, my cats will just kind of nudge their way in or a dog might try to get in at you. And so I did this voice in my head, which is like, hey, can I come in? I'm a good shark. I'm a good shark. I'm a good shark. Let me in. I'm a good shark. And I, then all of a sudden I was just narrating the scene from the point of view of the sharks. Hey, buddy, like, you Yeah, like not – not that they wanted to kill him, just that they wanted to, like, be close to him. Like, hey, <laughs> be my friend. I'm a good shark. I'm a good shark. So if you ever watch, say, Never Say Never Again, when you see the shark scenes, just have in your head a voice going, I'm a good shark. I'm a good shark. <laughs> it will make the moment sing to you. It uh, certainly will. I promise. So he works out that he's being tracked and he throws the the tracking device down into the wreck and all the sharks go in there. And then he grabs onto a lure, goes up to the surface, and then there's the woman that he met at the dock when he first arrived. Mm. He had a bit of a flirtation with. And she said, I'll catch you later. And so, of course, he gets brought to the surface and she's like, it's you. And he says, well, (laughs) you said you'd catch me later. I actually quite liked that. Yeah, it's a great line. It was naff, but it was like it felt proper bond. It's a bond. It's a bond line. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So then they go back to the port, and Barbara Carrera has changed outfits again, and she is dancing in the street with some local festival goers and a band. Just high on the sheer joy of having committed murder. I yeah, love it. Just going nuts, like woohoo! Turns around, sees Bond. And this woman, uh, who in the credits is just listed as Lady in the Bahamas, <laughs> and uh, and she sees them having their photograph taken with a large marlin or something. And Bond is wearing overalls with no shirt, denim overalls with no shirt. And I'm like, there's got it's to very, have it's been a very Huck Finn sort of look. Yeah, it's <laughs> like Huck Finn and Ernest Hemingway had a bizarre 
alternate universe baby and he grew up to be a spy. I know that analogy isn't even working, but there's something really, it both infantilizes him and ages him. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it's it's a weird choice. It, it's another one of those weird choices they make in this movie to make Sean Connery vaguely ridiculous. And I wonder if maybe he'd had a bit of a he'd overeaten at the cast services buffet, and they were like, <laughs> you know what? You can't suck the gut in particularly well right now. Let's just put you in some overalls so you can hide the gut a bit better. Is is he rocking too much of a gut in this movie though? He's, no, he's, he's not. But he's, he's definitely spelled. sucking. Like, he's definitely sucking it in at times. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, as someone all... exactly. You know it <laughs> when you do it. <laughs> in the same way that Roger Moore in a couple of movies ago and we saw him show oh, yes. like yes, oh, he's, yes. he's yes. doing the whole barely breathe yeah I think what's the, the modern equivalent of that is when dudes like massively work out don't drink any water and then do push-ups just before they're seen so they're just mm. like quietly flexing yeah mm. so Barbara Carrera goes well I have to kill him again now she changes outfit yet again into this crazy red and black big hat, big bow hat thing. Uh, I think she's wearing parachute pants, these sort of floaty black trousers. Yeah, I think that's like a weird, yeah, weird jumpsuit sort of uh, yeah. thing. Yeah. And so she goes and plants a bomb in Bond's room. And I, I quite like this. It's a fun little twist because yeah. they're asking your place or mine and they get the keys to both rooms and you think they've gone to his place and then a bomb, the bomb is detonated. They're in the other room. They're it's, in the other room having sex. It's quite well done. It's quite it's well done. It's quite well done. But Nigel Small Fawcett calls him. So they're having sex and he gets a phone call in the middle of the doing the business and it's oh, Nigel Small yeah. Fawcett saying, I found out where Largo's ship is going. It's off to France. And he says, like, okay, well, uh, bye, and puts the phone in the ice bucket with the champagne. How did he call him in that room? The only thing I can think of is that Bond asked for his calls to be redirected to that room. But we didn't it... see that happen. No, we... no, we didn't see that happen. No, that's true. But We saw them get the keys and then get into the elevator. And but go that would have, that would have t- I mean, if we had seen him ask for that, we, it would have tipped the, the, the twist. Exactly. Yeah. But then it ruins it when you think, well, hang on a second, how did he get through to him on that line? Like, if he had a mobile phone, sure, solves all your problems. <laughs> One of the rare incidents where a mobile phone solves your problem rather than that, ruins everything. Rather than ruins every plot point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just struck me as really odd that he's having sex, and then he just goes back to having sex. Like, he's not particularly interested that his room's been blown up. Well, he's uh, James Bond. You know. He's James Bond. So then he's back and he goes back to France. So there was actually no reason for him to go to Nassau because in Thunderball, he's in Nassau for m- the rest of the film. Exactly. Looking for the yeah. weapons, searching for the weapons. This movie um, jumps around way more than Thunderball. Like, yeah. Like they're, they're getting as much value out of this as they can. They're going to like, I think they go to like five different locations. I mean, they go to Nassau, they go to Nice. Yes, and then they go to, like, North Africa slash Ethiopia. They go to, like, two different locations in North Africa, don't yeah. they? Am I misremembering Palm, that? They Palmyra. jump around a lot. Palmyra is his beautiful retreat where he can yeah. relax, essentially in a prison from Westeros or something. <laughs> it really is. It's very bleak. It's, um, a, it's a medieval castle. Yeah, it's a bit Winterfelly, but with the added bonus of a white slave auction just in the middle of the is it the Motten Bailey? No, it's not a Motten Bailey. It's a in the forecourt. In the, for, the castle. Forecastle. The forecastle. The forecastle? What? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> castle experts, call in. Tell us where we're wrong. What's the middle part? The, the town square? The courtyard? The forecourt? 
what do they call it at a university? The quadrangle? The, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> the bit in the middle where there's always a confrontation. Yes. Where Sansa came back and Jon Snow was met her and he came down the stairs and then they gave <laughs> each other a hug and it was really it was really sweet. Do you remember Game of Thrones, Stu? It was a show. No, uh, like the rest of pop culture, I've completely forgotten that show. <laughs> I was doing so well with that, Stu, and you told me, you said, you've got to have something else to go to, and I... I, I, say, I said that. <laughs> too busy to listen, and I take that on myself. That's not your fault. You did the right thing. <laughs> I did not listen to your sage advice. What I needed was a psychic. <laughs> That's right, to tell you that, that uh, not only was that show going to eventually end, <laughs> but that it would end so badly that uh, it wasn't that, so badly. No, I, I just mean that like it would Internet end in such stuff. a such a spectacular fashion that yes. collectively pop culture would decide, you know what, we're kind of done with this now. There is no lingering fondness for Game of Thrones in the popular culture. <laughs> but like arguably, the first seven seasons were really it'll, good. It'll, hey, look, it'll come around. It'll take longer than it normally does, but they'll come. They'll come back, Natalie. They'll come back. It was a, it was a groundbreaking show. But they really they really whiffed that last season. <laughs> Okay, back to my list. I had the motorbike scene was really fun where Bond is on for some reason. Oh, yeah, they, they just the decide that that's supposed to be some sort of like, I guess that must have been a very high-tech motorbike for the time. I guess so. They make a big deal out of it. Yeah, and then it's just used in a random run-of-the-mill chase, but it's a good chase. Like he goes, he does oh, that whole slide, yeah, it's fun. slide under a semi-trailer kind of thing at one point. Hmm. I said that already. Lots of better elements than Thunderball, but still not cohesive and not... No, Th- Thunderball hangs together better as a film, I think, but this movie has better elements, but yes. it's just a disjointed mess. And it's not. it doesn't elevate the story. No, not at all. So that's pretty much the end of my list. So should we now go into our film deep dive? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the end of the preliminary I like, discussion. I feel like this podcast has been as suitably scattered as the movie itself. <laughs> it's just weird, isn't it? It's It's got great bits. Like, I really like Barbara Carrera. She's great. I enjoy She's Largo. Fantastic. Klaus Maria Brander does this great thing with his mouth where he's kind of got this bashful little boy thing going on sometimes where he seems to get a little embarrassed and kind of put his hand over his mouth. It's a really interesting actor choice. I mean, he's making choices. I'll give him that. He's, he's yeah. definitely he's making decisions. Yeah. And I even like Kim Bassinger. Apparently, Sean Connery met her in a hotel, or his wife, I think, met her in a hotel in London. Like, she's an up-and-coming actress, and they just met by chance, and she suggested it because uh, he got to help with casting picks, and I guess he saw her and went, well, that's uh, she's quite good. Question, <laughs> do you think Sean Connery's accent was, like, more Sean Connery than ever? Oh, yeah, yeah. I was I was going to – me- I meant to mention that earlier, is that he's just doing Sean Connery at this point, right? He's like, he's, doing... not, he's not doing Bond. Mm. He's doing Sean Connery. It's definitely full Sean Connery. It's very, very – yeah, there's just a lot of rush. rush, 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 rush. The voice has got a bit deeper. And, 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 yeah, he's, <laughs> he's, he's, he's got, that, got that full rasp to his voice and then the, the lisp is a bit more pronounced. Exactly. Do we rate this film? Do we put this film in our rankings? Because well, I know yeah, what I was going to talk to you about that. Like, what, what, what do you think? Like, because like, I, I could go either way. Like, like, I mean, we could place it, and I, I know pretty much where I would put it. I know pretty much, I think, where I would put it. But does it even deserve a spot? Maybe a spot with an asterisk. Yeah. You know, like we could put it in there going because the thing about this film, Stu, and I meant to mention this at the start in terms of this film's legacy. So as I mentioned. McClory wanted to make another uh, adaption with Timothy Dalton. That was scrapped. In 1997, Sony Pictures acquired McClory's rights 
for an undisclosed sum and then said, we're going to make Bond films now because they also held Casino Royale rights at the time. Ah, of course. So 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 that, that, that opens up a lot of potential stories. Yeah. So then MGM obviously went, well, we're going to sue you. And they settled out of court and got the rights off. They said, Sony, you can make no claim to Bond. This is our yeah. thing. McClory went, well, I'm still going ahead with another Bond film. <laughs> I feel like this guy has got this quixotic obsession. And he made the film. He made Never Say Never Again. But it clearly wasn't enough. Well, as you said, maybe it was just an easy earner. But then he spent so much money on legal fees, one imagines. Yeah, exactly. But- it obviously became an obsession towards the end of his life where – he'd made the film that he wanted to make and it hadn't filled whatever hole was inside mm. of him. Mm. And he was like, no, I need to try I need to try again. So he continued his legal case until 2001 when the court rejected his suit. He then died uh, in 2006, Kevin McClory. So then MGM acquired the rights to Casino Royale, which allowed them to make the first Daniel Craig uh, movie. Of course, yeah. And then McClory's heirs sold the Thunderball rights to Eon, allowing the company to reintroduce Blofeld in Spectre. So the two different Sony, Sony, Sony was Casino Royale and Spectre. And on the 4th of December 1997, MGM announced that the company had purchased the rights to Never Say Never Again from Schwartzman's company Talia Film. The company has since handled the release of both the DVD and Blu-ray editions of the film. And this film was on Stan. I watched it on Stan, which is the streaming service where all the Bond films are in Australia. So I guess it's kind of... It's sort of seen as like a a (coughs) semi-canonical thing. I mean, it obviously exists outside of whatever nebulous continuity the main Eon Bond films are. Yes. But it kind of works as a capstone to, I guess, Sean Connery's time on the thing, although they're remaking Thunderball. So it's like he's having a, an adventure that's very similar to one he's already had. I did watch that the whole time. Did he? It was It's different enough to be a different movie, obviously different actors and stuff like that. But it's also so similar. I mean, but it's I, a remake. Like, like they're using all the same elements. Up to and including, like, I, I really don't think we need all the health club stuff at the start, but they, they just stick with it. It's where he makes the connection, that the Jack... Petrarchy. And that's sort of updated too, isn't it? Because he doesn't, he doesn't yeah, just Yeah, he's not have... going full plastic surgery. They're like, they've just replaced his eye. And he's... even that M is like, oh, come on, let's, let's not be so outlandish. 007. They've replaced, and this is, but the thing is, they've replaced his cornea with a, something that matches exactly the president's eye. Yeah. And it's like, where, where did that How? come from? <laughs> How? <laughs> Can you manufacture that? I would have thought your corneal <laughs> implants are actual other people's corneas. So did they steal Ronald Reagan's eye? Is that what they're implying? <laughs> I mean, not that you'd notice. Well, no, well, I thought I still had two eyes, but I don't have two eyes. I've only got one eye. That's my Reagan. Um, been working on it. Excellent. Well done. I haven't been working on it. Uh, <laughs> He doesn't um, have a lot of uh, you don't have a lot of call for Reagan anymore. Really don't. Uh, even George W. Bush has kind of faded out of obscurity. <laughs> I've been working on my Donald Trump. Wear a mask. Just wear a mask. That's about as good as I've gotten it. It's not bad. Yeah. Well, I was doing a lot of hand gestures as well, which you wouldn't have seen being radio. <laughs> they really sell it. Sorry, being a podcast. It's not radio. So we can list this film, I think, but maybe with the asterisks. 
I'm happy to do that. I've, I've got a pretty good idea of where I want it. So I don't know whether, I mean, you, you, you know where you want to put yourself? I think I'm going to put it just above Octopussy. I think I like this just a little bit more than Octopussy. Wow. Okay. All right. That's really interesting. Have I said the wrong thing? Have I said no, the wrong thing? No, 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 no. I, well, first of all, I love making you squirm over these lists because it obviously, <laughs> it obviously is a very difficult decision for you every time. So it's very, it's very fun for me. But anyway. <laughs> Because you really do. There's always a gasp and a always like, oh my goodness. I'm I'm genuinely shocked. But I think for me, so you're putting it just above octopusy. It comes down to the personal. <laughs> I think I like some of the characters in this a bit better than the characters. Like the octopusy had that three villain thing. It was very confusing. It was two different movies smushed together. And I think of this film is very disjointed and scattered, but it's still just one film. It's not kind of two films trying to be one film. That's true. And I, I really liked the Barbara Carrera. I think she kind of carries it really. She is great. She had the chance to be an octopusy. Yes, we talked about that with Tulsa. Yeah, I, th- I think, well, was she going to be octopusy? Yes, and then she turned it How down to... How amazing would that have been to get Barbara Carrera as octopusy? She would have brought something really twisted, possibly. Oh, to, um, so good. Possibly a missed opportunity. But then, yeah, this 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 part is just outlandish and fabulous, and I feel she's probably the most distinctive thing about this film. And I think she dominates in a, in a way that Maud Adams does not as Octopussy. It's really tough. Maybe I could tie them. The year of the Bonds, it's a tie. But that seems <laughs> I mean, it's like... it's a year of two Bonds. Like, it seemed like the viewing public at the time chose Octopussy over Never Say Never Again, and I think think that's the way I'm going to. I think I'm going to put it just below Octopussy, so in my 12th spot. So it actually made more on its opening weekend. But then it had a pretty big drop-off. But then, yeah, Octopussy gained more eventually and probably, I guess, world sales and stuff like that. I just think that, like, at the end of the day, it's still a... It's not a Bond film. It's not a Bond film. Like, it it has James Bond in it, but it's not a Bond film. And Octopussy, for all its faults, is absolutely a Bond film. Now I'm feeling bad. (laughs) But, um... Hey, it looks good. That's the way I feel. You know, Let's, like that's because this is the thing. Uh, even last week, I was like, "Oh, have I done the wrong thing by putting Octopussy last?" Because I had so much fun watching so many stupid <laughs> elements of it. <laughs> I'm really finding it very difficult to place these things. But at the same point, they're both at the bottom of my list, so it probably well, doesn't. Say, it's probably less controversial for you because for me, I've just put it ahead of the Man with the Golden Gun and Thunderball, which is in Thunderball. my last place. Really? Thunderball so I, last I place. like this movie so much more than the original Thunderball. Yeah, and so I guess for me, it's lower down than the original Thunderball. Because mm. I've got Thunderball, then You Only Live Twice, For Your Eyes Only, The Man with the Golden Gun, Octopussy, and now obviously slot Never Say Never Again in there. Goodness me. I'm starting to feel like my list is getting out of control. <laughs> Hopefully bring in the uh, end of the Moria and the Dalton era and we can start to get more variation. <laughs> yeah, in the, in the bottoms of our list. It would just make, make me not feel as bad or, or do the uh, slight rejig at the very end of it all. I also had a request on my blog site, which I realise I haven't been pimping on this podcast. If you are interested in reading, I'm doing essays to go with every movie. So there's a podcast and an essay. If you go to nataliebohensky.com or through my Patreon, which I also haven't been pimping, patreon.com slash girlclumsy, or find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Natalie's Throne. I know it's all very confusing, isn't it? But just nataliebohensky.com, there's a C, B-O-C-H-E-N-S-K-I. 
all of my recaps for these Bond films or essays, I'm calling them, but they're very GIF heavy, GIF heavy, whatever it is. And uh, I tell you what's due, doing the octopusy essay. Yeah. Googling octopusy GIFs brings up a real assortment. I'll bet. Real. Yeah, yeah. Very eye-opening stuff. <laughs> And as you know, I'm a bit of a prude. Shining, so oh, yes, of course. I was quite shocked. Uh, so. Definitely shining a light on some dark corners of the internet. <laughs> That's right. So just beware Googling octopusy is all I'm going to tell you. But please go on and read my essays. You know, I'm trying to put funny jokes in them. I'm really making an effort with the joke content. I had a corker nipple slip joke in the For Your Eyes Only <laughs> recap, yes, which I was did. so proud of. I was so proud of that. I don't think, besides you, Stu, anyone's really appreciated the genius of that. <laughs> I'm not wallowing in self-pity or anything. Anyway, moving on. You're so, just sort of light, lightly splashing in the in the, in the the shallow pool of self-pity. So somebody did request on uh, Splish Splash, somebody did request on the Fioris Only recap that I rate the Bond girls, like our favourite Bond girls. So I thought maybe that's oh, something okay. you I could do at some point. We might do it at the very end of the process and kind of get all the Bond girls out there. Because I think Barbara Carrera, like if we're counting Never Say Never Again, I feel like she's probably got to be up there. because she's, she's actually pretty high on the list. I, I liked her a lot. She's insane. Like as far as the villain Bond girl goes, she's good. The nearest parallel I could think of is uh, Xenia on, on a top. It's really interesting that you, because I thought that too, with a lot of those structured clothes that she wears. Yeah, and really like the very, the very flamboyant sort of yes i am evil yeah and that real sort of delight in sex and punishment <laughs> someone whoever at goldeneye definitely i think had seen that i feel like that was an influence whether it's a spoken influence or a subconscious one well yeah we've mentioned it a couple of times but i think this movie does influence the franchise going forward i think there's there's elements in this movie that future filmmakers sort of pick up on it becomes part of the the bon milieu you know so it's it's, uh, it's interesting a little bit of actual critical analysis at the very end of the film. <laughs> we had to slip a little bit in there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so I'm putting mine, I'm just going to go for it. I'm putting it down just above Octopussy. You're putting it just below Octopussy. Just below Octopussy on my list. And we are done. So next week we're back to Eon with Roger Moore's final instalment, A View to a Kill. A movie that I, again, I have not seen for many years. I have very little memory of it beyond several obviously iconic moments within the film. <laughs> but uh, unfortunately, Roger Moore doesn't get sent off in style, but we certainly <laughs> have a lot to talk about, I think. <laughs> That's maybe a final thing that we can go out on. Who won the Battle of the Bonds? You know, Roger Moore versus Sean Connery. Like in box office, Roger Moore did. But do you think that Sean Connery coming back owned the role again? I think Connery Connery came back and was Sean Connery rather than James Bond. Which yeah. is, there's a very subtle difference there. And Roger Whereas, Moore had sort of been be becoming Roger Moore for a fair while. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But But I mean, like at that time... Roger Moore and James Bond were the same thing. Yes. So I think I think just by a pure technicality, I think Moore wins. That's my feeling. I, I, think I that's get the fair. sense you don't think that. No, I I think that's fair. He's still yeah smarmy as ever. Like he was um, Bond, and he's 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 pretty good in that movie. He's created something with that character. Yeah, he's doing his own thing. The the eyebrow and the sauciness that is hard to for Sean Connery to kind of compete with, I think. And it's not even that Roger Moore is better than Sean Connery. It's that Connery is coming back, but he's being Sean Connery. He's not being mm. James Bond. Mm. You know, it's a very subtle difference, but there is that line. So I think I think Moore gets it. I'll agree with that. I feel like he definitely is still the Bond of the era. Um, Sean Connery's 
a different time, even though he's like two, three years younger than Roger Moore. <laughs> yes, I know. It's so strange. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you for your nice comments. If you are reaching out, finding us on Twitter, I am at Girl Clumsy, and we have at Disco Stew. Please like, share anything that you would like to support the podcast. I realize I don't pimp often enough, and people are supposed to pimp their podcasts and say, go to Apple Podcasts <laughs> and leave a review. If you want to do that, cool. I haven't pimped the podcast to go review it in. I don't even know if I ever have. So <laughs> I'm told it helps us out. So okay. if, if it does, please do that. Well, even just sharing or if you enjoy it uh, or if yeah, you tell like people about it, my essays, share them. There's always links to the podcast embedded in the essays. So if you share that, they'll get both. Basically, what I'm saying, Stu, is I'm in desperate need of attention and validation. You're much cooler than that but if anyone <laughs> listening could think of that and uh, give us a review like us tell people about the podcast if they like james bond read essays spread share enjoy bond over it huh? see what i did there <laughs> and we will see you next week for for your eyes only so until that moment i'm natalie and i'm Stu. and we're shaken not stirred <laughs> Thank you very much, Mr. Connery. <laughs>